forewarning, you're probably not going to get anything out of tonight. But the point is, we're continuing our study here through Isaiah. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're up to Isaiah 54. We are going to skip chapter 55 and do 54 and 56 tonight. We're going to come back and do 55 next week. And the reason being is 55 fits in nicely. But 55 is one of the best chapters in the book of Isaiah, and we will not be able to do it justice in skimming through it here. So I want to spend a whole week doing chapter 55. There's some great, great verses in Isaiah 55. And if you get a chance to read it, you will recognize a lot of those verses, and you'll say, okay, there's some good, deep points there. But 54 and 56 flow together nicely here. And we're getting to the end of Isaiah. Isaiah is 66 chapters long, and we're getting here to the end. And what you're going to find out tonight is it's really two main points. Chapter 54 is all about God's blessing on Israel. Now, if you've been out here enough, you know I can get on my Israel bandwagon real quickly. I cannot stress to you how vital knowing about Israel is. I cannot stress to you about that. If you want to know what's going on in the world, just follow Israel. You know, right now the world's up in arms here about what's going on in North Korea and South Korea. Yes, that's very important. Yes, that's a very tense situation. But it's always about Israel, guys. Never forget that. It's always about Israel. And what I want to do here is before we actually get into this, just a real quick psalm I want to read to you. It's Psalm 122. It's only nine verses. You don't need to turn there. But Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel. To give thanks to the name of the Lord, for the thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Here's the key verse. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you, because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Look at that verse 6 again. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Do you realize, as believers... When we love and pray and, and ask for God's blessing upon Israel, God says, you love my people so much, I'm going to turn around and bless you back. And that's the purpose of this, is understanding it. Now, when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what are we ultimately praying for is the return of Christ. The only way Jerusalem's ever going to have peace is when Jesus is ruling and reigning over it. Now, there's always these accords, and there's always these chances, and there's always these people that pop up. Every American administration always thinks they can bring peace to the Middle East. And some have really tried Real lasting peace is going to come in the form of Jesus Christ when he rules and reigns in Israel for that millennial reign. That's what we're praying for. So when you say pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're really praying for the return of Christ because that's when true peace comes. Now, in Isaiah 54, real quick, with that background of Israel, because we're going to talk about Israel here, the key verse in Isaiah 54 is verses 7 and 8. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with the everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. If you look at the history of Israel, Israel and um, God the Father really had almost a love-hate relationship. Now, because they would have times where the blessing was good and things were flowing, and then Israel would do something wrong, and God would say, I have to discipline you for this. Now, how long do those disciplines last? There was different time periods. You know, they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Right now, we're in the Bible, we're in something called the age of the Gentiles. God's hand is off Israel right now. But if you look at this, verse 7, for a mere moment, I have forsaken you. See, in the whole scheme of eternity, this is just a drop in the bucket. Now, I still got little kids at home, and if you remember when you had little kids at home and you had to discipline them, it crushes their world. 
They do something wrong. You bring them up there. You discipline them. And for a mere moment, their world is crushed. But yet, we as adults know in the whole scheme of 70, 80, 90 years that we have on this earth, that tiny moment of discipline is not going to hurt them. It's going to train them. This is the exact same thing that's happening. And God is saying, for a mere moment, I've forsaken you. You may be in that mere moment right now. You may be in a moment of your life right now where it's really dark. It's really a mere moment. In the whole scheme of eternity, God loves you. You may be in a moment right now where you say, okay, what is going on, Lord? It's just a mere moment in the whole scheme of things. And when you look at the rest of these chapters, you say, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. Because from the Jewish perspective, when Isaiah was written, if you would go up to him and say, hey, you're going to rule and reign with God himself, Israel is going to be the key nation in the world, the Jews would have laughed and said, no way. But for a mere moment, it looked like all was gone, but God says, I got it taken care of. So with that background, what are the things that the Lord's going to do here? Well, in Isaiah 54, there's five things, five things that God's going to do in the future millennial reign. First one you see, verse 1 of Isaiah 54, Sing, O barren, you have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Now, what is he talking about? Israel's going to be blessed numerically, population-wise. And we got a lot to cover tonight, so I'm going to throw out some references here. Some of them we'll turn to, some of them we won't. But Genesis 15, you don't need to turn there. When God was making his covenant with Abraham, one of the promises that he made Abraham in Genesis 15, he says, And he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. He also went one step further and talked about how the grains of sand... So the point is, God promised Abraham thousands of years ago, your descendants will be innumerable. Well, what happens here in Isaiah 54.1, God says, it's going to happen. Israel is really a tiny little nation in the whole scheme of things. When we did a little study on Israel a few years ago, we put up this chart, if you remember correctly, and Israel has so many millions of people, and they're surrounded by nearly a billion Muslims. Talk about being outnumbered. This tiny little nation, now I, I, and like I said, I could go on and on about this. If you've studied the history of Israel since they became a nation in 1948, this tiny little nation has been attacked, attacked again by insurmountable odds. It still survives. There, there is no way that smack dab in the middle of the East there should be a Jewish nation. It should not happen. God's hand is there. And the whole point, God is saying, you know what? There's going to come a time, too, where Israel seems barren. Nah, it's going to be fruitful. And what a wonderful blessing that's going to be. And how many times have you heard us say, you think it's good now? The party really starts when Israel gets on board. That's when it really happens. So the first point you see here during millennial reign is God's blessing upon Israel, numerically. Population, it's going to grow. God's saying, I'm going to bless this. I'm going to make the descendants big. It's going to be such a wonderful blessing. The next one, verses 2 and 3, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand it to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Now, this is the big one. This is the big one, Will. And I asked the guys in the sound room. I got a little uh, picture here. Can you put that up, Miles? Because this comes up a lot. A question that comes up, and I wanted to show you this here as we go through this, because the whole land thing with Israel, that is the thing that comes up, and that's the thing that always seems to have a problem. And you always kind of wonder what's going on here. And if you will, please turn to uh, Genesis 13. Let's talk about this for a second, Genesis. 
Genesis 13. Genesis 13, let's go ahead around verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, in Genesis 13, verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land you see I give to you and your descendants forever. That's an important point. All the land you see I give to you for you and your descendants forever. Stay in Genesis. Jump ahead real quick to Genesis 15 because it gets even a little more detailed here. Genesis 15, verse 18. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenzanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So, what does that mean? God has said, from here to here, that's all Israel's land. Now, there's not an argument about this. This is a pet peeve of mine. Genesis 15. God has already established the boundaries of Israel. And so therefore, when you hear in the world, and they're fighting over the Gaza Strip, the Golan Heights, and Israel's got this tiny little section here, according to Genesis 15, it goes down to the Nile, to the Euphrates. So when the Palestinian nation says that this is our land, no, Genesis 15, God has already determined whose land it is. And maybe you've always wondered, okay, what did God really say he wanted him to have? Nile to the Euphrates, Genesis 15. This is all supposed to be Israel. Now, question, did Israel ever have this land? Anybody want to take a shot at that? No? Okay. Anybody else want to take another shot? Yes. Yeah, it's either no or yes. Now, since Mark, you said yes, when did they have it? If you check it out in 1 Kings, go ahead. I was going to say when they crossed the Red Sea, was it given to them in Nope. Reign of Solomon. Question, though. Reign of Solomon. If you look, Israel has been the doormat of the world for years. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, Egypt, they have always walked over. Because what happened was Egypt wanted to fight up here, so they had to go through Israel. Babylon wanted to fight, they had to go through Israel. They got walked over by everybody. During the reign of Solomon, they actually had most of this land, from the Euphrates, it says in 1 Kings, down to the border of Egypt. That's about the only time that they ever had that land. For a brief, brief span, Israel, and I'll use this word lightly, was a world power during the reign of Solomon. Now, the point of this, though, is God says, I'm going to give your land. And he says, I want you to spread your tents out. Well, why do they have to spread their tents out? Because right here is what they have. God says, no, no, you get all that. During the millennial reign, Israel will be the centerpiece of the world. The Bible makes it clear in Zechariah that the nations will come down to Jerusalem. Israel will be the centerpiece of the world. That's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. So when you hear on the news about a Palestinian state and you hear about the Gaza Strip, the Golden Heights, you hear about all this stuff, remember biblically, Genesis 15, God says, that's all yours. The world may come in there and try to say, well, this and that. No, God says, during millennial reign, I'll make it fair, I'll make it right. Is it ever going to happen now? No, it's not going to happen now. But when Isaiah 54 comes into play and God says, I'll do it, that's when the blessing is. And that's when he says, enlarge your tents. And if you want the reference for that again, once again, Genesis 15, 18 through 21. Now, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this? Yeah, John. Yeah. The, the wife thing kind of goes both ways. Part of it was a little bit political, and part of it also was just sin. 
You know, um, when you have 700 wives and 300 concubines, there's, there's not that many nations that you have to make peace with, <laughs> you know? I don't mean that as a joke, but I guess it comes across as a joke. But there, there's, not, there's not that much you have to say that. I mean, that also was a lot of flesh that just came into it, too. But, yeah, there was some political maneuvering there. Um, and I, I want to make sure I give this reference there. 1 Kings 4.21. So Solomon reigned all over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and as far as the border of Egypt. And that's 1 Kings 4.21. So the river is the Euphrates and the border of Egypt. You can make a case where's the border. Was it the Nile or was it here? You know, we don't know for sure, but Solomon was the closest that Israel ever had to actually having the land they were supposed to, and that's 1 Kings 4, uh, 21. But yeah, definitely I think part of the prosperity of the kingdom led to problems. There's no way around that. You know, if you look at all those kings, you know, they all got into trouble. You know, David got into trouble. Solomon got into trouble with the whole thing with the women and the wealth and the power. So, all right, anybody else got any other things here about the land? Because this pops up a lot. You're going to hear it on the news. You're going to get into discussions at work. Any other things? Yeah. Uh, you mean Constantinople? You mean Turkey? Turkey's up there. You talking about that, or you talking about Italy? Actually, where the Roman capital was. Oh, Roman capital. Yeah, Italy. Sorry, I thought you were like Roman Catholic. Church. Rome, uh, Italy would be right over around in there. They did. Yeah. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, they got hit from everywhere. Um, Egypt came from the south. You had the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks. Um, they really were the doormat. They oh, and you know, if you stop and you think about it. Back during biblical times, Israel was really nothing there to take. I mean, it wasn't like that was the best place. It was just they happened to be in the middle of all these nations that were constantly warring, and they just all the time just got hit on it. So, crazy. Yeah, Ryan. I mean, over here? Yeah, you know, it doesn't really say for sure how far it goes back. I think the assumption would be, in my warning, my opinion, it would be like around in here. You know, I don't think it was a never-ending thing heading over to uh, the east there. You know, God definitely set up the Nile and the Euphrates, but the rest of it to the back, I think, would be, you know, up to maybe a little bit of speculation. doesn't say for sure how long, how far. Good question, though. Anybody else got anything? Okay, so... Blessed him numerically, blessed him with the land. Uh, back here to Isaiah 54. Here's a really interesting one. If you look at verse 4, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced. You will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Jump ahead, if you were, real quick to verse 14, also of that same chapter. It says, In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. One of the blessings of the millennial reign also is that Israel will finally be at peace. As we talked about before, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the real peace, the only reason that can happen is through Christ. Now, during the false reign of the Antichrist, there will be a false peace that comes over Israel. But real peace is going to happen in Christ's time when he reigns. And you see these verses of do not fear. That's, that's mind-blowing. Israel right now is a constant war zone along its borders. And even back during biblical times to tell Israel, don't fear, just like we talked about. Well, why shouldn't we fear? We've got Egypt that wants us. We've got Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Everybody's trampling us. Israel was never allowed or able to really defend itself. It never had that power, that might. Closest it came was maybe during David and Solomon. God says part of the reign and part of the blessing of the millennial reign is no fear. No fear. That's an amazing thing. Imagining peace in the Middle East. There's a great passage, and my mind is blanking now what book that is in. Maybe Zechariah, I can't remember, where it talks about how old men and women will sit along the streets of Jerusalem 
and the children will go out in the streets and play. You know, not many people think of the most peaceful spot in the world right now being the Middle East, but there's going to come a time and a place where there is that underlying peace that's there. Let's move on here, verses 11 and 12. O oh, you afflicted one, tossed in tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. I always find it interesting when God goes into detail about precious stones. Like if you read the book of Revelation, real quick reference here, Revelation 21, when you go in there and you read about heaven, there's, there's these gems and stones and gold all over the place. And you stop and you say, okay, God, if we're not supposed to be focused on money and finances and all this stuff, why is all this stuff up in heaven? Why is it there? I'm just going to throw out my opinion. My opinion on this is very simple. I think it's to remind us of what we have for all of eternity. We bust our backs down here on earth to make a buck. And if we would talk about precious stones and gold and gems and sapphires, our eyes light up. I think God taps us on the shoulder and says, why are you working for that down here? For all of eternity, you get to walk on gold. Every time you open a door in heaven, it's going to be a door lined with gemstones and sapphires. And we think it's such a big deal down here, the materialism and the wealth, and God says, that's all waiting for you up in heaven. You know, and I think God just says to remind us, look at what you have. Why are you wasting it now? You know, and I think sometimes we've got to stop and say, okay, I look at verses 11 and 12 and sapphires and rubies and think, oh, amazing. God says, for all of eternity, you can goof around with it all you want. And I'm telling you right now, as soon as you get to heaven, you're not going to care that the streets are made of gold. You're not going to want to go hold rat, rat, uh, rubies all eternity. You're just going to want to hang out with Jesus. And that takes us to our next point, because look what happens here. Verse 13 all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Oh, that's a great verse. Reference with that, Isaiah 2.3. Isaiah 2.3 talks about how we go up to the temple to hear Jesus teach. Can you imagine during the millennial reign being there saying, hey, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching through John. I'd love to hear Jesus teach through John. Because you know what the book of John ends? Remember how John ends? John says there are so many more things written about Jesus that the books of the world will not be able to contain everything that was said about him. I would love to hear Jesus teach through John. And that's the beauty of the millennial reign is this access, this relationship. See, from a Jewish perspective, they never had that relationship. Uh, you know, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, one day a year the high priest got to go in and have a very brief relationship with God. Now they will have a relationship where they get to sit and listen to teaching and listen to Jesus expound on the scriptures. Remember, Christ said, the whole of the book was written about me. Wow, Lord, go back and explain to me one more time. Lord, really, who was Melchizedek? You know, how does that relate to you? You know, Lord, go to explain Revelation to me some more. I mean, that's the beauty of this. And so the Jews are going to have these amazing five things that go under in lineal reign. Numerically, they're blessed. Their land goes back to the way it's supposed to be. No fear, the glory of it. And also, lastly, the relationship with Christ. Those are the five things. And basically what Isaiah is trying to do here in Isaiah 54 is to remind them, your world is falling apart now, but look at the blessings that are coming. Application for us, your world is falling apart now. But look at the blessings that are coming. Keep your eternal perspective in all ways and all things. So that deals with the nation of Israel. Now, if you jump ahead to Isaiah 56, this is a quick one. What does it have to do with us? Because now I'm thinking, okay, Israel gets this stuff. What about us? Well, look here in Isaiah 56, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness. 
For my salvation is about to come, my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. God says, my blessing is going to be on those that are obedient to me too. Now, we've got to make this point. God is not saying those works save you. God is saying those works show that you're saved. He's not saying someone is saved by following the Sabbath. Someone's not saved by keeping his hand from doing evil. But the point is, if your heart is in the right spot, you're going to want to do what's right. See, this is one of the telltale signs of Christianity. When I run into somebody who tells me they're a Christian, but their lifestyle doesn't back it up, you have to stop and say, okay, if you're a believer, why isn't there a heart to want to do what's right? Because what Isaiah is saying here in verses 1 and 2 through the Lord is, hey, those that want to do what's right show the righteousness of God. That works aren't saving them, but those works are showing they want to do something for them. And you know what? We're enlisted here. Verses 3 through 8, this is us. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuchs say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house, and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. Do you realize that you and I are the foreigners and the eunuchs? We are the Gentiles. I know this gets confusing to people, but we are the Gentiles. And so what God is saying is, yeah, I'm going to bless Israel. Yeah, I'm going to bless my people, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham. He goes, but I'm also going to bless you. And so right now, as your world falls apart, God says in verse 5, I got a house for you. I got a name for you. You're going to be right up there with them. Turn, if you will, here to John 14. Let's talk about this for a second. John 14. Do we ever stop and think about this? that we have been adopted into the family of God and made an heir with God. It says, Better than that of the sons and the daughters in Isaiah 56, 5, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Look at this. John 14 talks about this. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. For I were not soul, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Stop for a second. Isaiah 56 just told us that as the foreigner, God's going to give me a house. Well, it goes one step further. In John 14, verse 2, I don't just get a house. I get a mansion. Now, I'm liking that. I'm liking that a lot. The whole point of this is what? Whatever you're facing down here on earth pales in the whole scheme of eternity. It does. And I know right now some of you are going through some pretty tough times. And right now you're maybe thinking, okay, I can't even keep my head on straight because of everything that's going around me. My world is falling apart. God says, wait a second. You have a mansion waiting for you in heaven. And I'm not saying this in a materialistic way. I'm saying is the eternity of peace. What a blessing. And God says, keep that perspective. Then he goes on to say, verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he says, I'm not even going to leave you. I'm going to bring you back with me. You know, that's the thing is, don't we get worked up about stuff? I got worked up about something last week. Boy, it was bringing me down left and right. And I, the Lord kept trying to tell me, James, do you realize I may return before it even happens? How many things do we get worked up about? And Jesus says, you may not even have to deal with it. If the rapture happens right now, all that worry and fear we have is all thrown out the window. Or you know what? Even if you're not raptured, this sounds really crass, you may die. I know that doesn't sound fun, but still it's all over either way. Rapture or death, I'm home. That's the beautiful part of it. 
And so therefore, there's a mansion waiting for me. There's a place prepared for me. Verse 4, that where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? I have to throw this point out real quick. I think Thomas gets a really bad rap. Thomas is always known as doubting Thomas. I like Thomas because Thomas just says what he thinks. Thomas isn't doubting. He's asking for clarification. Lord, what, what, what do you mean we know? We don't know. Look at verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we all know that verse. Now, stop for a second and think about that verse. Because you know Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. That means you know the Father. And since you know the Father, you have an eternal home waiting for you in heaven. No matter what you are facing in this world right now, that everything pales in comparison to that. Be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. Whatever you are battling right now pales in comparison to the fact of that you as the foreigner, Isaiah 56, you get a new name, you get a new house, you have everlasting life through Jesus Christ. That is what gets you through the day. And what I notice in my personal life is when I start allowing the things of the world get to me, what am I doing? I'm letting go of my eternal perspective. And we're going to talk about this Sunday because we're up to the passage in Colossians of set your mind on heavenly things. Next time you have a bad day at work, a bad day at home, or whatever, stop and you think, i got a mansion waiting for me, i got an eternal home in heaven waiting for me. Everything pales in comparison to that. That's what Isaiah 56 is trying to tell you. We're the foreigner, and God loves us. Boy, does he love us. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Oh, yeah, Tam. From Isaiah 54? Uh, first one was numerically, they're blessed. Uh, that's Genesis 15:5. Second one is they're blessed in their land, uh, Genesis 15:18 through 21. Uh, third one is they're blessed with no fear. Uh, fourth one is they're blessed with uh, glory. That was the rubies, the sapphires, etc. And lastly, they're blessed with relationship, um, Isaiah 2:3. They get to have that relationship with Christ. All right, anybody else got any final questions, comments here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, help us to have that eternal perspective in all we say and all we do. Lord, you have a mansion waiting for us. You have a home waiting for us. We are the foreigner, Lord. We don't deserve anything, but you have given us righteousness through your Son. Thank you for that. Lord, whoever is here tonight going through a tough time, encourage them, uplift them, help them, help them to see you're there, Lord. In the midst of the trial, the tribulation, the darkness, you're there. We love you and we thank you for that, Lord. In your name. Amen.